pray that your word would speak to us, that your spirit would convict us of what we may be doing in our lives and how we conduct ourselves, knowing that it's through the power of Christ in us, through the power of your Holy Spirit speaking to us and convicting us, God, that you change us from the inside out. God, we pray that your word would convict us, would encourage us, would teach us, would train us and rebuke us in every which way that that needs to be taking place in our lives. We pray today again that you speak to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. We're going to be continuing our Joyride series, and as we do that, I do want to make an announcement. I did forget one. I knew I forgot one. Um, following the service, if you're part of the greeting and hospitality team, there's going to be a brief meeting back here uh, with Mike, so we want to encourage you to stick around. If you are interested in being part of the greeting and hospitality team, here's one thing we can always improve on uh, is, is greeting and hospitality. One of the things that I'm always encouraged by uh, is, is when you go into a place where you're overwhelmed with kindness, all right? Uh, there's a big difference, and I'm going to throw out a couple names there. Maybe I should, maybe I should. There's a big difference between going to Burger King and going to Chick-fil-A, all right? It's called customer service. <laughs> Nine times out of ten, Burger King fails in every which way, and ten, ten times out of ten, Chick-fil-A seems to be pretty darn successful, and that's because they set the standard right from the start when the people walk through their doors. So we want to be that type of person. We want to be that type of a church uh, that we are overwhelming people with kindness and love because you never know uh, how you greet somebody could be the very uh, thing that gets them not only to stick around, but maybe come to Christ later on down the road. So uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, let's read these verses, then we'll jump in. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner, manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that you or that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. And today we're going to learn a lot about joy in gospel conduct, joy in gospel conduct. And I, I want to encourage you with this because I think there are a lot of things that take place. There's a lot of stuff that influences the church in today's culture. And when I say the church, I'm obviously talking to people, but there are a lot of things that people within the church will maintain and continue to do, even though the gospel conduct is not necessarily there. In other words, what I'm saying is they are willing to go out and do certain things when the, with the idea that, well, God will forgive me instead of thinking about what they're doing speaks volumes about what is God in their life or who is God in their life. And so gospel conduct is huge. Matter of fact, in a movie, A Few Good Men, you may remember uh, if you've seen it, A Few Good Men with Jack Nicholson and, and Tom Cruise, if, if you haven't seen it, you need to see it, especially, well, there's just some great movie quotes in there. But if you remember or have seen anything in this movie, you remember the scene at the end when the two Marines who took part in this, that's Lance Corporal uh, Loudon or Harold Dawson and Private Loudon Downey, when they're found guilty of the charges, or they're acquitted on most charges, but they're found guilty of conduct unbecoming, and they're ordered to be dishonorably discharged. 
And I want you to think about that because this conduct unbecoming is something that I think reflects a lot on what those people did. So in the movie, they were found guilty of that because they did not stand up for and protect an individual that was in their command, in their chain of command, basically, or under them. They did not stand up for him or protect him, and as a result, they were found guilty of conduct unbecoming and dishonorably discharged. And so, of course, my mind automatically jumps to this. In the military, there's an offense that is subject to court-martial, and it's Article 133 of the Uniform Code of Military Justice, and all the military guys went, wow, I know UCMJ stuff, all right? And it's conduct unbecoming an officer and a gentleman. And there are things that, there are standards and morals and ethics that are expected of a certain individual in a certain situation within the military because they are held to a higher standard. As a matter of fact, all military personnel are held to a higher standard, all right? But there are even expectations of an officer, even over enlisted people. And I'll read you this article. It says, any behavior or action that comp compromises the character of the officer, uh, as well as any behaviors that disgraced or dishonored the officer's personal position. Although officers are not expected to have an unrealistically high moral standards, there is a personal standard beyond which an officer cannot fall without significantly compromising their position in the military. And so I ask you this question to think about this. Have you ever seen a person, an individual, maybe even a Christian, who really in a personal act or in a particular manner, their actions did not reflect that of Christ? And that would be conduct unbecoming a Christian. All right, matter of fact, I'm going to throw out a couple of things. Maybe you've heard of places like Westboro Baptist Church. All right, one of the bad things about this whole being lumped into Baptist situation, even though we know the Southern Baptist Convention is not supporting, does not support at all anything that Westboro Baptist Church does. Westboro Baptist Church in and of itself is a cult because they literally believe they're the only church going to heaven. So they've got a wake-up call anyways with that. But this, in, 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 in a matter of sense, there was a, a, a recently a Marine that was killed over in Afghanistan, and Westboro Baptist Church has already said that they are going to go and protest at his funeral, all right? This is conduct unbecoming a Christian, because what they do oftentimes is go out and they hold up these signs that say IEDs and things are a result, and the reason your soldier died is because of the sin in their life, and they're you know, the sin in the United States and things like that. That's conduct unbecoming a Christian. Or maybe you heard of the pastor in the church down in Florida a couple years ago that were burning Korans. You remember this? It was all over national news. All right? Huge deal. Because this pastor's like, we're going to burn the Koran. We're going we're gonna to tell everybody to bring Korans. We're going to make a statement. This is, that is conduct unbecoming anything Christ-like. And here's the reason why. All right? Because all you're trying to do is make a statement that does not reflect who Christ is and what Christ did. Could you imagine Jesus? Could you imagine Jesus walking in to a city or a town or a village and saying, hey, hey, bring out all the books, all the books that talk about other gods, and we're going to have a burn party right here in the town square, right in front of everybody. We're going to burn every book. Or everything that was in violation of that, of what he stood for. Jesus never does that. Jesus responds in a different way. 
And Paul, while he's in prison, remember, is writing to the church at Philippi. And while he's in prison, he says, look, here's what I want you to know. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, conduct unbecoming Christian is really any behavior or action that compromises the character of Christian or of that Christian or the character of Christ in that person's life. And so maybe even this past week you would look back and go, you know what, I could find my own self guilty for conduct unbecoming a Christian because of something you said or did. And Paul has this to the church at Philippi very simply to say this, you need to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ day in and day out, in everything that you do, whatever happens. And Paul is saying this, whatever happens from this mentality or the standpoint, because he is in chains. And Paul is saying, regardless whether you're in chains or you're walking in freedom, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. When somebody storms your house, when somebody takes you on for the sake of the gospel, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. And he's laying this out to the church at Philippi because the church at Philippi was getting a lot of persecution as a result of their stance and saying, look, we're not going to worship the Roman gods. We're not going to be super nationalistic pride stuff on Roman stuff. Our, our obedience and our calling is to be obedient to Jesus first and foremost. And so there's this great picture that we begin to see. And I want you to understand this, that in the Christian life, we're not just along for the joy ride. All right? We're not just along for the ride. But regardless of the circumstances and situations, there are things that we need to categorize or that should categorize the life of the church, the life of, a, of Christ in the church. And so there are things that we're going to look at today that I believe that we have to see in order to be people who are not conduct unbecoming Christ-like or conduct unbecoming Christians, but we need to have certain things in our lives that show us that show others that we are following Jesus on a daily basis. So listen to this, all right? Here's the big statement, the big thing. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this. Our conduct is the best proof of our character in Christ. Our conduct is the best proof of our character in Christ. You ever heard the say you can't, can't get blood out of a turnip, right? All right? You can't get milk out of a horse, I mean, there's all kinds of little statements that you begin to start throwing out there that just don't happen, you know? If you want to make lemonade, you got to squeeze what? Lemons, all right? The same thing is you cannot get good character out of bad qualities. Our conduct is the best proof of our character in Christ. And if your conduct is lacking, you may be very, the very person or the very individual who's lacking any sort of Christ-like influence in your life. As a matter of fact, I'll say this. Maybe at some point in your life, you acknowledge Christ as your Savior, but maybe right now you're not walking with Him daily, and as a result of that, guess what ends up happening? We have less Jesus in our life and a lot more of everything else. And that's exactly what Satan wants. That's exactly what the world says is okay. And so Paul lays this out, whatever happens... Whatever you face, whatever you're walking through, whatever you go through, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy 
of the gospel. So our conduct is the best proof of our character in Christ. So here's the question. How do we live in a manner worthy of the gospel? How do I as a Christian live in a manner worthy of the gospel? And Number one is this. I think we must live with good conduct. Every year in the Navy you get or sorry, not every year, every four years, you get what's called a good conduct medal. If you're, if you're a person who stays in good conduct, you do things, you receive good conduct award. Matter of fact, there's a ribbon I have. It's a little maroon ribbon. Um, it, you know, I was in four years, so I got one. On my uniform, I would have one stripe, good conduct, and it's red, all right, because I only served four years, all right? Once you're over 12 years of good conduct, it turns gold. And then it would be a, a stripe for every year. So I remember seeing guys like Greg probably. I don't know how many, Greg, Greg how many stripes you got? Five, all right? I remember my master chief when I was on the ship had seven. And I mean, he'd walk down and, you know, master chief, it's all gold, everything's gold. And he'd have these seven stripes on his sleeve. And it was like, whoa. I mean, because it's not just this. There were guys who were in the military who had been in 15, 16, 18 years that had like one stripe. And you're like, yeah, that dude got in trouble. <laughs> you always knew who got in trouble because you're like, he's a chief, but he's only got one stripe good conduct, which he would probably most likely not make chief if he got one stripe good conduct. But you would see those stripes and you're like, oh yeah, that, that, guy, that guy got in trouble at some point, which meant he got demoted and dropped in rank and things like that. There were all kinds of things, but there's these good conduct hashes. And I'm not trying to be a checklist type pastor, but there's an idea that we should live with good conduct. Our conduct represents who is in us. Our conduct represents what is going on in our life. Our conduct among those we are around either reflects highly on Christ or reflects really on who we are. And so conduct is everything. So how do I live in a manner worthy of the gospel? Listen, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. See, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what we're going through, we have to behave like a citizen of heaven. And I really want to lay this out because the NIV would possibly and literally fall short here. The idea is, Paul is saying this, that you conduct yourself as a citizen of heaven. That's, that's the actual Greek wording here. They just put it into language so you might understand, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. But what Paul's saying is you should conduct yourself as a citizen of heaven, first and foremost. And here's my big thing. I'm a huge patriot, love the United States. I love the freedoms we're granted. I love what is reflected in that. When we sing the national anthem, I still get teary-eyed no matter what national anthem or no matter where it's at. I don't care if it's baseball, basketball. I don't care if it's out on a ship. Matter of fact, the more military personnel and the more I see people who actually sacrificed uh, the, the worse it is for me, all right? So you can say what you want to say. I'm very patriotic at heart, but I'm also a citizen of heaven first and foremost. And so what I want you to understand is this. I celebrate and respect everything that goes on in our United States because I know what it's offered to me and the patriotism and the, the sacrifice of men in the past has opened up a door and an opportunity for us to worship here freely without cost right now. I mean, like we said last week, it did not cost me today to come through these doors at all, other than getting up. And I would have been up anyways, because I'm up early all the time anyways, thanks to kids. 
right? <laughs> All right. So it did not cost me anything to come through these doors. But it says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. See, sometimes I think we take more pride in our American citizenship. We take more pride in different things, whether we're a Royals fan or a Chiefs fan. We take more pride in all of those things than we do in our citizenship that we have in heaven, in our relationship with Christ. We take pride in everything else, and we don't think about what it means to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the calling. One of the things I always remember, whether it was in the military, whether it was playing baseball at SBU, was always this aspect that was communicated over and over and over again. You don't just represent yourself. You represent the very institution of the uniform that you wear. So when I was in my Navy uniform, they would say, you represent the United States Navy, and not just the Navy, you represent the USS Nimitz when you're out in port. So you take that with pride, and everything you do should be carried over in that way. Same thing with baseball. Same thing I communicate with our boys day in and day out in our baseball team now is that we play, matter of fact, I was telling our boys the other night, we were destroying the team. We beat a team 30 to 1. Um, it, well, I'm not, just, we'll leave it at that. Um, but I told them, you know, they're 11, they're excited, they're like, we just destroyed those teams. And I said, well, hold on, knock it off. And they're like, what? And I'm like, no, we win with respect and we lose with respect. And I said, the only trash talking that will ever go on on my team is with your arm the bat, and the glove. Your mouth stays shut. And they were like, and I said, because that's the only trash talking that should take place on a field. That's just my opinion. That's my pet peeve. There are things that happen in college and NFL sports uh, or even Major League Baseball at times. I'm like, man, if I was a manager, your butt would be on the bench. I don't care if you're $25 million a year. You act like that. Yeah, you can sit in that corner right there. Matter of fact, turn around and stick your nose up against the wall because you're just acting like a big baby. All right, so conduct to me is huge, and that's what Paul is laying out. Conduct yourselves in a manner, listen to what he says too, worthy of what? Worthy of the gospel. Worthy means the value of something, how, how much something really matters. And he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is of utmost importance is what Paul's trying to get across. So my lifestyle, everything that goes on in my life should be worthy of the gospel. Does your life reflect the goodness of the gospel, the greatness of the gospel, the grace of the gospel, or does your life reflect greed and self-satisfaction and self-pity and things like that? That's the question you have to begin to ask because Paul is literally getting to that. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the truth of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So my conduct should reflect that. I don't deserve the grace of Jesus Christ, but guess what? God freely gave it to me, and I've accepted it, realizing that apart from Christ, I can do nothing to earn God's grace and God's favor. There is no work. There's no amount of money. There's nothing I can do that earns God's grace and God's favor. He created me in his image. He has passion for me, but he also died for me, and there is nothing I can do to earn that. That's the gospel. That Jesus paid the price I can't pay and nobody else can pay. And he offers life and life more abundantly. So we must walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, not conduct unbecoming a Christian, not conduct that speaks volumes about 
who we are and big time, you know, big headed, bloated Christians, but rather all about who Christ is. See, the gospel has a known ethical and moral conduct or standards for believers to follow. And the sad thing is, a lot of times we want just enough gospel so we can have everything else. Instead of asking, is my conduct, is what, am I, is what I am doing conducting myself in a manner worthy for the gospel? See, it's not about doing what we feel like, but doing what God says. That's the truth of the matter. That's the reality. So how do we live in a manner worthy of the gospel? Number one, I, I, I conduct myself or I live with good conduct. I reflect Jesus in everything that I do. Number two, listen to what he says. Contend for the faith. He says, then whether I come to see you or you only hear about or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. So listen to what he says. How do we live in a manner worthy of the gospel? Number one, we live with good conduct. In other words, conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Number two, he says that we contend for the faith. I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. See, here's the reality. There's this united standing that is taking place between those believers right there that they come together for one thing. They come together under one spirit with one mind and one accord for one faith. For that's the, that's the gospel. So they are contending for the faith, not for preferences, not for feelings, not for emotions, not to make somebody feel good. Hey, we want to make sure you're okay. They are contending for one thing. There is a united standing among the believers within that church that Paul is calling out. And he's saying, you need to focus on these things. Anytime a church becomes divided, it's automatically set up for failure. Why? Because division is a result of preferences. Division is usually a result of allowing something within your heart to become priority rather than God. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, there are some people here who know this. I found out recently there's a, a, some people or there was a church uh, that went to chairs away from pews, but they have one pew set up still. And people have decided they're sitting in that pew no matter where that pew's at. And so the pew was moved to the very back in a corner underneath a coat rack. And these same five people went and sat back in the corner of the sanctuary on that pew because they were just dead set on sitting on a pew. And the problem is that's, that's, that's weird. I, I made a comment to Sarah today. I said, man, you know, I'd almost like go up to those people and be like, hey, do you want me to coat this thing in gold? I mean, we could set it, we could, we could make this an idol very easily. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, it's just one of those things that kind of run it through your mind going, oh my gosh, seriously? It's where you sit your tush and you're worried about where your butt's at. You know what I mean? It's like, the, go to Africa. You're going to be sitting on the dirt under a, tree, a shade tree. You're not going to have a pew out there. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel and contend for the faith. It's united in standing, standing firm in one spirit, an attitude of community, an attitude of understanding that there's unity among believers around the gospel. Listen again to what he says. Whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, 
I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. That's the reality. When the church is unified in one spirit, contending for the one faith in the gospel, guess what is unstoppable? The mission of the church. Because God is going to grow it, God is going to multiply it, God is going to do what is necessary to see that come to fruition. But when a church becomes self-centered or self-focused or we allow our preferences to begin to dictate how things go, guess what ends up happening? Those preferences always shoot to the top. And as a result of that, the gospel is always diminished. And when the gospel is diminished, the church is no longer a church The people of God are no longer the people of God. They are selfish, focused, self-centered, and focused on on only that thing. And what I want to encourage you with is this. Thank you, number one, church, for being that church that's not that way. Thank you for that. But I also want to encourage you that we contend for the faith, united, standing together. Listen again to what he says. That you will be stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith. Get this idea. It's taking a bunch of people, a bunch of individuals who comprise or make up the church, and they're literally coming together as one, what's it say? Man for the faith. That means I lay aside my preferences and my desires so that we would be unified as one group, one body, focused on Christ, focused on the gospel, able to accomplish the mission that Jesus set before us. That's the beauty of what happens in the church. When we don't allow our, listen, mine, even me, that I don't allow my preferences, my selfishness to dictate how the church goes, but that we focus on the gospel, that we move forward in that kind of manner. So that Jesus is proclaimed first and foremost, and that everybody else doesn't see it. You remember, anytime conflict happens, you ever notice this? Anytime conflict happens, everybody knows it, right? It seems like that, at least. It, it gets out, right? Something happens at a church, and everybody's like, hey, did you hear what happened? Blah, blah, blah. It's, it's like it just hit the fan. And you're like, oh, man, that's just sad. But it gets out. The beauty of Everything that takes place when Paul is talking about this is that we can live with good conduct and we can contend for the faith. See, only by standing firm in the one and only spirit can they hope to contend as one person for the gospel against opposition. Think about this. They were facing opposition from the outside. They were facing the fact that they may go to prison, they may be persecuted as a result of their faith in Jesus, and they're not going to be able to stand together if there's compromise or conflict within. And so Paul says, hey, I want you to know that I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel when you are going through those things. When you face the struggles, when you face the difficulties. So there's this united standing, but there's also this united striving that they would contend, listen, together for the one faith, the faith of the gospel, that they would contend together. As a matter of fact, when I was reading this, I was reading on this, this idea of contending, that we get our term from this, it, it actually means to engage in an athletic contest. In other words, engaging side by side or helping one another out uh, for the strength of the gospel or in the gospel. And one of the things I tell our boys, and I know I'm going to go back to some baseball references here, but the, the, the weakest link on the team, or you're only as good as the, the weakest link, right? 
in a baseball team, because everybody matters, you can't be a single solo individual. You know, this ain't tennis. You're not going out there playing tennis, you know, against one other person. This is a team effort. And likewise, in the Christian faith, it's the same way. In the church, the church is only as strong as its weakest link. So here's the deal. If you are a strong believer, it benefits you, it strengthens the church, and it helps the other person out as well with discipleship if you bend down, pick them up, and help them out. If you neglect them, reject them, don't worry about it, guess what ends up happening? Who suffers? Everybody suffers together. The teamwork mentality is always an understanding. So there's this united striving, this contending together as one man for the faith of the gospel. And so Paul lays it out. How do we live in a manner worthy of the gospel? We live with good conduct. We contend for the faith by having a united standing and a united striving. We work together for one purpose. Number three, how do we live a manner worthy of the gospel? We have to be courageous. Listen to what Paul says. Be courageous. Verse 28, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Do you hear what he said? Without being what? Frightened. Put yourself in the worst situation maybe you've ever been in where you were the most nervous, most scared, most fearful of what could or could not happen. And Paul says, as you contend for the faith, as you live in a manner worthy of the gospel, as you strive together, as you stand together, don't be frightened by those who oppose you. I remember in college baseball, we always played Central Missouri State. In Central Missouri State, the years I was there, they won two national championships in the four years I was at SBU. And we were, we were beat. We were whooped before we took the field. Because everybody's like, oh man, Central Missouri State, man, they're like ranked number two in the nation. Man, they're just going to destroy us. And I mean, it, it was that way. Nine times out of ten, it wasn't even close. <laughs> it was like, oh, Central Missouri State. Our coach used to get so mad. I don't understand you guys. You can play with these guys. You guys just roll over and died. And it was like, on Tuesday night, our baseball team got absolutely hammered. I told you we hammered a team on Monday night. Or, sorry, Thursday night. Monday night, we hammered a team. Thursday night, we got hammered. And it wasn't, our, it wasn't the other team's fault even. We had 13 walks and a hit by pitch in four innings. You'll never win a game doing that. Never. I don't care what age you are. They're 11 years old, but 13 walks and one hit by pitch. That's 14 free base runners. And the idea was, and I told my kids, look, you gave up right away because we told them, this is going to be a tough game. You're going to have to fight hard. This is, they're going to they're put it to you. You're going to have to put it to them. And it was like our boys, they just, you know, and sometimes baseball, you have an off night, but it was like it rolled over and died. I mean, it was like, what the heck? I mean, all of us coaches are standing around like, what do we do? We can't go play for him. <laughs> you know, that looked a little weird. But we contend together. And there's this teamwork aspect that has to take place. And we have to be courageous. See, courage, as a matter of fact, I've got this quote, courage will follow when faith takes the lead. Courage in your life will follow when faith takes the lead. See, we cannot be afraid of our opponents. When we become afraid of the opponents, we're going to shrink away from opposition. We're going to walk into disobedience. And the Christian believers in the Philippi church were getting pressure put on them by the cult-like following of the Roman government. 
because they were putting Christ first above the Roman government. And so they're facing this opposition. They're facing what's going on. And those outside the faith were now testing the allegiance of these Christians in Philippi. And it's going to work out for their deliverance. That's what he says. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. So here's the reality. It's not an opposition against, but those people who stood against them was, was the very people who were going to experience destruction as a result of their faith in government rather than their faith in God. And here's the truth of the matter. There are people in the United States whose faith is in the government rather than their faith in Jesus Christ and what God can do in their life. And as a result of that, that's going to lead to the destruction of them. And I'm not talking about the destruction of the United States necessarily. I'm not going to go that far. But what I'm telling you is this. When our faith is in anything else but God, then we'll miss the point. We will miss the big picture. We will miss out on what God has. Listen to Joshua chapter 1. Be strong, verse 9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. See, anytime we're intimidated by the option, by the opposition, we'll always cower in defeat. When you let the opposition intimidate you, you will always cower in defeat. You're not going to move forward into what God has said. And I know I have a lot of athletic analogies here, but I always tell my boys every time, we're going to set the tone. We're going to set the tone on the base paths. We're going to set the tone at the plate. We're going to set the tone on defense. You have to dictate to the other team how you're going to play. You don't let them dictate, you dictate. And Christians, in likewise manner, have to be that. You cannot let the enemy dictate to you how you're going to respond. You let God dictate to the enemy how he's going to lead you. So we are courageous. Psalm 31 verse 24 says, Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who put hope in the Lord. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 16 says this, Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. We have to be create courageous as we walk forward in obedience to what God has called us. And that's what Paul is laying out. And then verse 29, number four, how do we live a life worthy of the gospel or live life in a manner worthy of the gospel? Number four, we continue in the fight. Listen to what he says in verse 29 and following. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Now, Here's the conflict most people run into because listen to what he says. It has been granted to you to believe on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to what? 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 Yeah, that's not a word a lot of us like, is it? I mean, if somebody came up to you and said, you are going to suffer before you die, what do you automatically think? Uh, no, no, I don't want, no, no, I don't want to suffer. What's one of the things when somebody dies, man, I hope that person didn't suffer before they passed away, right? I mean, I, I think that even in my mind on the news when you're like, oh man, car wreck, and they talk about somebody who died in the car wreck, and you're, what's the first thought? Man, I hope they didn't suffer. Nobody ever wants to see anybody suffer, at least not in my right mind, I don't think anybody does. But listen to what Paul says again. 
In order to do it, you're going to have to continue in the fight because Paul is laying something out that we have to understand. See, the Christ in whom they believed for their salvation poured himself out by taking the form of a servant and as a man humbled himself to the point of death. Death for their sake, death for my sake, death for your sake, and for the world's sake, even to the point of death on the cross. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 4, it says, salvation is found for no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be Saved. Romans chapter 10, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Here's what he's saying and continue the fight. That we believe in Christ because of Christ or on Christ, but he also goes on and he says, it's not only granted to you on behalf of Christ to believe, but also to suffer for him. If Christianity required suffering in the United States, how many people would still claim to be Christians? When I think the standard right now, at least from a statistical standpoint, is like 73% of Americans claim Christian values. If Christianity required suffering in the United States, how many people would still be Christians? And what Paul is telling the church at Philippi is this. It's going to cost you. There is no promise that you will not face difficulties and struggles. There is no promise that you won't face persecution. There is no promise that you can't lose life or home or family or job. There is no promise in that. That's what Paul says. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for him. And listen to what he says. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Do you hear what he's saying? I suffered. You saw me suffer. I'm still suffering. But guess what Paul also says? It's okay. It's all good. Why? Because I'm conducting myself in a manner worthy of, of the gospel. And if it's conducting myself in a manner worthy of the gospel that has led me to chains and prison, then I will conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel that will lead me to chains and prison. Regardless of where I'm at, I will follow Christ only. That's what Paul's saying. And my challenge to us as a church is that Are you willing to follow Christ even if it meant suffering? Even if it meant losing things? Even if it meant giving up things? See, for believers as with Jesus, the path to glorification always leads through the suffering of the cross. And in order for believers to be glorified or justified, that requires a death thing. When you die, whether it's of natural causes or a car accident or persecution, You are glorified in Christ later up in heaven. So for believers, as with Jesus, the path to glorification leads through the suffering of the cross. And I want to challenge you that you live daily a life worthy of the gospel by conducting yourselves in a Christ-like manner, by being united in the faith, by fearlessly being obedient and striving for the gospel to the point of suffering. And I want to leave you with this, and it's something I've been encouraged by. 
But Rudyard Kipling, who is uh, the author of The Jungle Book, he wrote in The Jungle Book this thing called The Law of the Jungle. And if you know anything about The Law of the Jungle, it's a long poem, but the most famous line in his Law of the Jungle is this. It's the strength of the pack is the wolf. Anybody ever heard this? And the strength of the wolf is a pack. And what I want to tell you is this. The strength of the Christian is the church. And the strength of the church is the Christian that conducts themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's the good news that Jesus offers, is that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, because he paid for our sins, he paid the ultimate price that we couldn't pay, we still can't pay, no matter what you try and do, you can't earn it. He paid that price. But Jesus says, hey, it doesn't stop there. You should still conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Why? Because that's what I called you to do. That you would bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That you would represent Christ on a daily basis, whether at work, whatever you're working on, whether at home with your neighbors or out on the baseball field, coaching, or even as a parent that in every way I conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel so that those who have never put their faith and trust in Christ may see Jesus lived out in me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that you, through your spirit, spoke through Paul. You gave Paul the words to write to challenge the church at Philippi, but God, we thank you for that, how, how that still continues to this day, how it can challenge us to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. God, we do not compromise your word. We do not shy away from obedience to what you have called us to do. But God, I also know that there are those whose conduct has really been unco- unbecoming Christ-like. It does not reflect Jesus. It does not reflect the gospel at all. And God, maybe that's something in our own life even today. Maybe there's a believer here today who they've put their faith and trust in you, but they would just say, my conduct has not reflected the gospel at all. And God, just where they're at, I pray that they would be able to confess that, they would confess to you and just ask you to forgive them, and that God, you would give them the strength and boldness to walk fearlessly and with courage in their daily life, that they would not cater or, or, or cower to the opposition. But God, I also know that maybe there's somebody here today that's never put their faith and trust in Christ. They would sit back and say, you know, my life does not reflect the gospel because I have never put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But God, I pray today that you would just work on our hearts, that you would show us, show that individual just how much you love them, how much you care for them, that they could respond and understand that Jesus paid the price that they could not pay, and he offers us life and life more abundantly in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand. We're going to close with this song. And as we do, if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, you have questions, you want to talk to somebody, I'm up here or at the end, I'll be at the back. Come up and talk to us, all right? But if you are a believer, here's the thing I want to encourage you to do. If you're a believer and you say, you know, my conduct hasn't reflected Christ on a daily basis, There is no better time than to go to the Lord right now. Maybe you need to grab somebody to pray with you.
but to just ask God, God, would you forgive me? Would you give me the boldness and the strength and the courage to be obedient to you no matter what the cost? Let's sing.